Hello, and welcome to Asbury Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Savini. I am the lead pastor here at Asbury. And we hope this episode will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and we hope it will be entertaining for you as well. I'm going to look again at the, the book of Isaiah today, because if you are following along with our Bible reading plan, which, by the way, you can find by going into the Version Bible app, and just, uh, it's, the title is just The Major Prophets. Now, this is a reading plan put together by the folks at The Bible Project, so you can also find it on their website. Uh, if, you don't, if you're like me and you don't like reading in the Bible app and you prefer to use a physical Bible, um, you, can, you can pull up the reading plan from that. It'll tell you what to read on day one, two, three, four, five, you know, et cetera. We started this plan on October the 3rd. Now, the one downside of their reading plans is that the way they're set up, there is no discernible way to um, like print off a calendar of the, the readings. Um, so again, if you're like me and you don't like to use the app, you prefer to use a physical Bible. I, I mean, I, I, I each time we've done a reading plan this year, I have sat down and gone through the plan and copied down, you know, day one, these, this book, these chapters, day two, this book, these chapters, and that way I've got it, you know, uh, memorized, but but for simplicity's sake, we started on October the 3rd in the book of Isaiah. We're going to go through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ecclesiastes, and, uh, well, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ecclesi- I always forget Lamentations. Uh, so Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Daniel, and um, let me just pull up, because I, I do have it written here, for, uh, for Isaiah, and then into Jeremiah, we're doing it's it's three chapters a day. We're gonna do uh, Lamentations. Will take two days to do three chapters of Lamentations on the first day, two chapters on the second day. Then you get into Ezekiel and one, and it's back to three chapters a day. And then uh, Daniel gets a Daniel is four chapters a day. Um, so just that gives you a rough idea of how you're progressing, okay? So you start on the third of I'm sorry, you start on the second of October. Here I am confusing you all all over again. So beginning with Isaiah one on October second, three chapters a day every day till you end Isaiah. Then on October the twenty fourth, we'll start Jeremiah, and it'll be three chapters a day every day of Jeremiah until we finish Jeremiah. Then on November the 10th, the first three chapters of Lamentations. November 11th, the final two chapters of Lamentations. Then on the 12th of November, we get into Ezekiel. And you'll do three chapters a day of Ezekiel every day until we end Ezekiel. And then we get into Daniel on the 28th. And you'll do, looks about, actually I think there's five chapters. Well, you go one through four, so it's technically five chapters of Daniel you're reading. On the first day, and four chapters for the rest of Daniel for the next two days. And then we're done with our Bible reading plans for the year. We'll be into Advent. I'm not doing a Bible reading plan for Advent. I may... I have a... Uh, there's a devotional here that I have in my hand, which I purchased from Seedbed called Roots. And it will. It, you can do this if you like. And, and when we get closer to Advent, I'll, I'll share. I'll post a link to this, and you can buy it if you want. Uh, I'm actually going to be basing my Advent sermons on this book, uh, loosely, at least. 
Um, but I'm going to actually use that if you want to do um, some Bible reading during Advent. I'm going to pass that out. And then I think next year we'll, we'll maybe do some similar stuff rather than trying to do these big, intense Bible reading plans, which I, I think people are starting to struggle to follow along with. Um, we'll try and do some things that are a bit easier to keep up with. Uh, for you people, I'm, I'm super cool, and I'm going to still do intense Bible reading plans. Um, but I think we've kind of hit the limit of how, how often I can, as the pastor, hand out these Bible reading plans and expect large numbers of you to follow them. Um, so for the podcast today, we're still in Isaiah. We may, you know, we may start dipping into Jeremiah later, but I'm going to try and, since I'm not preaching on Isaiah during the month of October while you're reading Isaiah, I'm going to try and keep these podcasts fairly closely focused with what's going on in Isaiah. Um, now, you may have picked up on this. Maybe. Um, but about half the time, I, I start these podcasts without any actual plan for what I'm going to say. Just FYI. Um, because honestly, you know, sometimes you can just open up, or at least maybe this is just me because I'm so nerdy, um, but I can just, you know, I can open up the Bible, look at the chapters I want to talk about, in it, and I can just start talking. Uh, so I'm actually looking at Isaiah 8 right now, um, which you've already read if you're following along with the plan. But Isaiah 8, there's this warning about the Assyrian invasion. Now, at this time, uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel is gone. They've been wiped out. And, you know, of course, as I'm recording this, uh, there's all kinds of horrific violence happening in the nation of Israel. Um, it's worth pointing out that this is just... It, the, the entire history of that region is just blood-stained. Um, and I'll just take a minute to point out, you know, people um, people ask, well, how are we, you know, there, there's this there's this really strong desire in the States, especially amongst Christians who, who hold to more traditional beliefs to um, to stand with Israel, right? I mean, you see the, the signs everywhere now. I, I'm not about to defend the terrorists, don't worry. <laughs> That's not what's going to happen. Um, but... You know, the, the situation in Israel, I think the best way we can understand this as Christians is, is this. Um, there, there's two, two experiences I have had that, that have profoundly shaped my, my beliefs and my thoughts regarding um, the, the relationship between Israel and the Palestinians and the surrounding nations. So the first happened while I was in seminary. We, um, my Old Testament professor actually assigned us to go to the, the Dallas Holocaust Museum, and then afterwards he brought in uh, a man he knew. who His family had just moved to the States, but actually his parents had settled in Israel after the Holocaust. His parents were Holocaust survivors, and then they moved to Israel and settled there. And so he grew up um, in Israel in, in the midst of all that turmoil. And um, we asked him, you know, what, what do you think the Jewish people took away from, from the Holocaust? What, what was sort of the cultural development that resulted? Because we were kind of curious to know, you know how, how did that shape the culture? You know, it's, it's obviously a, 
major event and and you know, none of us really had an opportunity to speak with someone who not only um, was you know, who, whose parents had survived the Holocaust but who then went and moved in into Israel with with a large chunk of other people an entire nation that's basically shaped by people who survived the Holocaust we wanted to know what he felt that how he felt that had shaped their identity as a people so his answer to that question was we learned to arm ourselves enough to make sure that this could never happen again. And I think that's a really profound thing that we have to understand here from our you know, distant viewpoint is that the, the people who settled and formed the modern nation of Israel, it's like they have this collective cultural PTSD and who can blame them, right? I mean... But, but the background here is, of course, that the survivors of the Holocaust didn't want to go resettle in Europe and in, in Germany and Poland for obvious reasons. They were turned away by every allied nation. The French wouldn't let them settle there. The UK wouldn't let them settle there. We Americans wouldn't let them settle here. We sent them to Israel. We told them, we when we helped them dislocate the Palestinians, and... and Let's be clear, folks. The, the Palestinians have valid grievances against the Israelis. They, they, most of them had lived on that land in Israel for 2,000 years. Their families can, there are Palestinian Christians who can trace their family heritage in the same villages where they grew up back to the time of Jesus. So they have a valid grievance here. Uh, we, they were driven off their land, and, and we took these people who had just been through this collective genocide this incredibly traumatic event, and we armed them, and then we put them in the middle of this entire group of nations that wanted nothing more than to kill them after they displaced the people who lived there. Uh, so, the, so understand first and foremost that the situation in Israel, the, the violence between uh, Hamas and Israel and the other nations around Israel, that we aren't really the ones to blame for that. We bear the responsibility because we created the situation. Um, and it's really hard to blame the Israeli government and the Israeli people for um, thinking the way that they, they do and reacting the way that they do and, and, and approaching the situation with this militaristic mindset because look what happened to them in, the, in, in living memory. Do you know, we, we went to the uh, Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem while we were there this past January and um, it was full absolutely full of Israeli Defense Force cadets, Israeli Defense Force cadets because part of their training is to go to that museum so they can see why they are fighting okay get that through your head that that and, and remember every Israeli citizen serves in the IDF when they are 18 so you have a nation of people where the entire adult population, at the age of 18, is taken to a museum documenting and remembering their own genocide and told, this is why we're training you, this is why we're arming you, because it is your responsibility to make sure that this does not happen to your children, to your parents, to your brothers and sisters, to your neighbors. So we have to understand that mindset. The other thing that really shaped me was, was having dinner with a family of Palestinian Christians this past January in Bethlehem. 
and hearing their story. They are a people who, like it or not, have been violently and horribly oppressed for 56 years by the current government, but actually for quite a while before that by, by British occupiers and then before that by Ottoman Turks. What, what we're seeing in Israel right now, all this horrific violence, and, and I'm not defending it. I want to be really clear. Um, there is no defense for what is happening right now. But it is the inevitable result of the way that the Palestinian people have been treated for so long. And, and the way that the Palestinian people have been treated for so long by the Israelis is the inevitable result of shoving this group of people who had been collectively traumatized and victimized by everyone around them into their ancestral homeland and giving them all kinds of guns and ammunition, but then leaving them alone with no defense from the people around them. I mean, it's... The best way to explain it is you've got these two people groups who have been thoroughly victimized and traumatized and brutalized by the rest of the world for generations, and they've been shoved together into this tiny piece of land that they both claim as their ancestral homeland, and then... We just sort of sat back and watched what happened. It's a horrible, horrible thing. It's incredibly tragic. The violence is horrific. And right now, of course, so much of the anger is directed at Hamas. Rightfully so. But let's not forget that the Israelis have done similar things to them. It's one of those things where I have truly come to believe there's no good guys and there's no bad guys. There is just intense, horrible suffering. And frankly, the people in the midst of all that suffering are not the ones to blame for their situation, I don't believe. The best thing we can do, my friends, is is to pray for peace. Because, of course, you and I can't actually do anything about it, right? I mean... But we can pray for peace. And that brings us back to Isaiah, randomly. Um, the reason, what, what triggered that is, is the northern kingdom is gone. Okay, like 10 of the 12 tribes, gone. And, and I mean, they are just gone. They, the Assyrians, what they do is they come in, they conquer a people, and then they forcibly relocate and resettle them and they scatter them across their empire because it makes it harder for organized resistance to form. So the northern kingdom is gone. Strange peoples have been settled there. Judah now stands alone. And they are um, they're effectively a vassal state. So they have nominal independence, but they pay tribute to the Assyrians. They are expected to send an army to fight for the Assyrians whenever the king of Assyria asks them to. Um, Not the best situation. Not what they want. And Judah is going to defy the Assyrians. And so Isaiah is going to warn of this here in chapter 8. That the Assyrians are going to come in and 
give them a good thrashing. And, and it seems like an odd thing for the prophet to warn about, right? Because you would think the prophet would say, listen, these guys are evil. Let's be independent. But the prophet is actually saying, look, you've gotten yourself into this mess with your with your insistence on human politics. Right? Now, instead of doing the stupid thing and taking off the Assyrians, why don't you just do what you said you would do? But in the midst of this warning about what the Assyrians are going to do, we get chapter 9, right? Which is, of course, some of the most famous parts of Isaiah, right? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You skip over a little bit. But for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right. Some of the best messianic prophecies of the old in the midst of this warning of God's judgment and God using the Assyrians as judgment. Now I want to point out, um, this is of course, even every Jew would have recognized this as a promise of the coming Messiah, although they wouldn't recognize it with Jesus, but but they would also recognize uh, that this is, this is a reference to uh, Cyrus the king of Persia who will be called by all of the titles listed here, and who will restore the people of Israel to their home. Israel, the, the Israelites liked the, the, the Persians a lot. Um, and Cyrus was, uh, a lot of the Messianic prophecies in Isaiah are best read as simultaneously referring to Cyrus the Great and Jesus, as if Cyrus sort of prefigures Jesus. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, and here in chapter 10, there's going to be uh, this, this proclamation of judgment on Assyria. And so you have this thing that goes on throughout Isaiah, where God will say, and, and other prophets, by the way, too. I mean, Jeremiah does the same thing. Uh, God will say, yeah, I'm going to use this people to carry out my judgment on Israel. Um, but then I'm going to punish this people. right? Uh, and, and there's this very nuanced thing where it's, it's as if God is saying, yeah, okay, I will use the Assyrians and the Babylonians to bring my judgment on, on Israel. But then I'm going to punish them for enjoying it too much is maybe the best way to say it, right? It, this comes out more clearly in Jeremiah than Isaiah, but there is this sense that that what what brings judgment on the heads of the Babylonians and the Assyrians is they revel too much in what they're doing. They don't they they fail actually to recognize that they are instruments of God's judgment and they revel too much in it and they enjoy the violence and the cruelty too much and so God's going to come and judge them as well. So you have all these oracles against against first Israel and all these warnings that the Assyrians and then the Babylonians are going to come and punish them. But you also have uh, like oracles against those nations. Um, and this is a cycle that repeats, right? Here in chapter 20 and chapter 21, 
right? You all these oracles against the nations who God is first going to use to bring about his judgment. And there's an oracle in chapter 24, a judgment on the whole earth. It's a lot to process. It's a lot to make sense of. And I think one of the things that's so hard about reading through the prophets is this, uh, like the anger and the wrath of God that is expressed here, especially in the first part of Isaiah, because the second part gets a little better. But the first part of Isaiah, it's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's a little horrifying if we're, if we're being honest here. I mean, it, you, you, if you, if you weren't kind of disturbed by it, um, you got some problems. And so it's kind of like, where is, where is the love and the grace of God here? And I think it's a good reminder for us. I think it's a good reminder for us that God isn't all love and grace. God loves us, sure, unconditional love, boundless love, love that we really can't quite understand, but um, God is also going to deal with evil. We, we can't forget that God is going to deal with evil. God's judgment is coming. And we don't say this in like a gloating way, right? Like, oh, God's going to get those people over there. No, no, we should say this with some fear in our hearts because God's judgment is coming and it's coming for us as well as for everyone else. And we better make sure that we are in right standing with God because his judgment is coming. And if you read through the prophets, his judgment is not pleasant. And and here's where I think the, the prophets get even more disturbing because I want you to notice nowhere, absolutely nowhere in the prophets does it talk about the judgment coming in the afterlife. Nor does it talk about salvation coming in the afterlife. The prophets are very, very focused on what's going to happen in this world. Right? They are clear. God's judgment is going to happen here and now. God's salvation is going to happen here and now. Now, a key distinction, I think, for us to make is they're talking not about individual judgment and individual salvation, but communal judgment and communal salvation. That that God is God is judging the nations, and he is saving the nations, and he is using the nations as his instrument. But there is this very clear sense that the geopolitical events which are happening around them are, uh, are if not orchestrated by God, certainly being incorporated by God into his plans and into his purposes. This is a really important concept for us to grasp. God, God himself doesn't put it into the hearts of the Assyrians to come and annihilate the Israelites. The prophets are actually pretty clear that, hey, you brought this on yourself. You, uh, you did stupid political things, and you as a people turned away from God and put your hope in other, th in other places, other gods, other nations, um, there will be specific oracles against the Israelites who uh, foolishly turn to the Egyptians for protection instead of turning to their God for protection. That's going to happen especially uh, in Jeremiah. 
right? They will turn to the Egyptians for protection. They will try to form an alliance with the Egyptians. Uh, and that's going to backfire on them massively. And, and the prophets are clear. These bad things that are going to happen, it's because you did this. But also, God's going to use this as an opportunity to carry out his judgment on you. And one thing, by the way, when you read through the book of Chronicles, this is a great way to, to, to see how this gets fleshed out. Because Chronicles will very often describe these major geopolitical events in two ways back to back. And they'll say, you know, X event happened because King so-and-so did this. And then the very next verse will say, X event happened because God wanted to judge the nation, right? They'll give you the the human actions that led to it, but then they'll give you the theological interpretation of what's going on. And and the the idea here is because God is active, God doesn't will bad things to happen. God doesn't control us like puppets. But God will use us to carry out his purposes, and that includes his judgment on the wicked in this life. And there is also a clear sense that we have to reclaim that um, sin is not just an individual thing. The nation can sin, and, and the nation will be punished for its wickedness. We, we kind of lose sight of this in the New Testament because there's so much focus in the New Covenant on, on our personal connection to Christ, and, and rightly so, because that is important. But we ought to be a little wary of what the Old Testament has to say about God's activity in these geopolitical events. Because we can and should begin to look for what God is doing in the major geopolitical events of our time. And that, that, that can get us into some dangerous ground if we're not careful, and I get that, but we really ought to be thoughtfully and prayerfully wondering what's God up to in these geopolitical events, and what is my role? Right? And we, we live in a, a nation where we actually get to have some say in what our government does, not much, let's be honest, but some, because we elect our government. And we have to be careful in thinking through who do we want to put in power? Who do we want to put in power? If God still judges the nations, who do we want to be leading our nation? That matters. And we may well have differing opinions on that. Uh, I, I will not sit here and tell you how to vote. Won't do it. All, all I would say is, remember the Old Testament as you do so. Remember that God is still present and active and, and shaping events in the world towards his purposes, whether we can see it clearly or not. It's happening. We do well to remember that. Back next week with another podcast continuing to talk about the book of Isaiah. Until then, God bless.